Hello and welcome to D2C Podcast. I'm Eric Dick. On the D2C Podcast, almost everything we talk about contributes in one way or another to a large problem the world faces, plastic pollution. So today we're focused on how we're going to clean it up. Enter Joel Tasha, founder and CEO of CleanHub, the world's first platform designed to help D2C brands reduce more plastic from the environment than they produce with verifiable tracking software that keeps track of every kilo. Plastic is everywhere and pretty much unavoidable in our modern lives, but CleanHub helps brands take proactive and measurable efforts to help build sustainability and love for the planet into the core of one's brand identity. This conversation will help you come to grips with the world of plastic along with the challenges and great developments made on how we recycle it in its many forms. We'll also cover the rise of the conscious consumer and what brands need to do to fully resonate with them, the power of environmental action in brand identity, and how to avoid being accused of greenwashing. Only listen to this podcast if you care about the future of planet Earth and are excited about the opportunity we have as purveyors of plastics to clean things up. Hope you enjoy it. On with the show. Sustainability is a big driver for retention. The big issue in D2C is you spend so much money to acquire customers these days with ads going up, TikTok reducing the organic reach that they give you for free. It's even more important in these cases to build brands that you want to return to. Obviously, you need to have a good product. If you don't have a good product, you don't have a chance out there. But there's so much good product by now that you need to add on top of that. And this is where we can help you tell stories that go beyond your own product, right? Where you can loop the consumer back in again, educate them about something that is dear to maybe just the founder's heart and build brand loyalty. I think that's really crucial in D2C that people come back. Joel, welcome to the D2C podcast. Can you start by sharing with me why you created CleanHub? Sure. And thanks a lot for having me, Eric. To understand why I started the company, we have to go back basically into my childhood. I grew up in southern Germany at the biggest lake of Germany, where I spent my entire childhood sailing, basically, or swimming. Um, so I spent my entire young adolescence childhood in nature. Um, we had the Swiss Alps around the corner, so... There was also a lot of skiing, a lot of outdoor activities, and that continued throughout my life. And when I started studying, I picked up surfing and um, to finance that hobby because Germany, obviously, it's not completely landlocked, but we don't have great surf spots. Uh, I always worked during the semester, took the semester breaks off, traveled to Indonesia, Philippines, etc. to pursue my hobby. And... While there, I saw the, the contrast of how the, the nature that I knew looked when I was growing up and how nature can also look like, which is completely polluted, right? And at that point, I was annoyed. I joined all the cleanups. And the next day, you come back and you see the beach is completely trashed again. Why that is, I only figured out later. But it was a bit frustrating. So I didn't make much of it, finished my studies, started a B2B SaaS company. And after three years there, I said, okay, I want to do something that's closer to my heart. So I did a bit of soul searching and said, okay, what is it that you want to spend your, your working life with? And I said, why not work on something that's really dear to me? And there was plastic pollution. And so... A year of research started to figure out the, the reasons behind plastic pollution and what can be done. 
and ideally something that is scalable, right? That is not just a small local initiative, but something that can scale and has the ability to really solve that problem. And um, that's a bit my personal why. In the end, if you summarize it in one sentence, I believe everybody lives their best life on a clean planet. Uh, no matter where you live, no matter how rich or poor you are, no matter if you're, I don't know, a dog, a human, a turtle, a dolphin, whatever, counts for every living being in the end. And at the same time, plastic is an inescapable part of the world that we've created as well. Absolutely. No. Talk to me a little bit about what you learned when you like dove into the world of plastic. I think the interesting spot that I was in was clean canvas, white canvas. Um, you can draw up a solution from, from scratch and you think it's like, I'm going to build something that's perfect. And there was the first illusion that was eliminated very quickly. There are movements like the cradle to cradle movement that don't believe in the concept of waste, which I find very, very intriguing. That says, okay, there's a biological circle. So everything that is compostable goes into that. Everything that's, everything that's technical needs to go back into the technical cycle, recycle it, use that raw material again. It's like, well, why are we not doing that? Um, and I quickly learned that there's a lot of non-recyclable plastic out there as well that just will never enter the, the technological cycle again because you physically can't recycle it. That was some of the first learnings I had. The, the other learnings is how unbelievably omnipresent plastic is. This entire conversation would not be possible without plastic. Like my... The, the content of my fridge would not be there without plastic. My clothes, right? This is a Patagonia jumper. It contains plastic, recycled plastic, but plastic. Um, it's everywhere. It's, I think our entire prosperity is built on it. It's, and it's, it's actually, it's funny. It's actually petrol too, isn't it? Isn't plastic just, it's like yeah, a, it's yeah. a form of a petrol chemical. It's one of the things you can do with this crazy substance. Yeah, exactly. So it, it all starts somewhere in the middle of the ocean <laughs> on an oil rig and um, it goes back there, unfortunately, in many cases in form of trash. Um, but that's obviously not the cycle that, that we'd want to see. But yeah, it is a petrol product. It is made from crude oil. And then in the West, you know, I remember inter I remember recycling being introduced in whatever the 90s, 80s or 90s. And Almost since then, it's been to some degree a bit of a sham in terms of actually what we're, you know, everyone thinks by putting our, our plastics in here. It's funny, I lived in Asia for a year too. I lived in South Korea and the level that they go to, to actually like make every, it's very meticulous. There's like eight different bins. I bet they have a much higher rate of actually reusing products than a lot of other places in the world where in the West, we just ship them to China, I think, right? We used to. And then uh, China said in 2017, Thanks, but no thanks. Um, we have enough trash by now for ourselves to deal with and we can't cope with it. And one third of the global plastic was exported to China. And from one day to another, they said, borders closed, deal with it. And yes, there was new capacities built to deal with it locally, but still illegal waste exports continued, right? It's like we shipped this stuff off um, by now to places in, in Africa um, in the U.S., it's more south of the border. Um, then a lot still goes to different places in Asia, like Indonesia, Malaysia took on a lot of it. In Europe, we more ship it to Poland, Turkey. Um, and you always ship plastic waste to the cheapest place in the end because um, 
we believe that it is recyclable, but only 9% of plastic globally is recycled, which means 91% is not, right? And what happens to that 91%? Like, what are the economics behind it? That is actually quite interesting. What does? What does happen to it? Is it is it landfilled? Is it burned? Yeah, so there's there's different levels of bad. Um, there's no good solution for non-recyclable plastic, I would say. There's the best worst solution, which in my eyes is energy recovery. So it is a petrol product, right? So you can um, incinerate it, win back energy. And even within that process, there's different levels of it. You can do it with no filters at all. You can do it without winning back proper energy and just destroy it. Um, you can um, build proper incineration plants that have filters, etc., that take care of the residue ashes, for example. And in my eyes, the best worst solution out there is um, co-processing, which means that you use it as an alternative fuel in the cement industry, which is also what happens to the non-recycled plastic that we collect. Um, and there you're replacing an existing fossil fuel, so coal in most of the places, with plastic. And um, it is a process that would be running anyway. So you're not creating more harm, but you're removing plastic pollution, right? That's um, the good part of it. And the temperatures are so high that you don't have toxins, furans, and you don't have any residue like ashes that are toxic. But that's just for stuff that's captured. That's, that's kind of the, yeah, that's that's kind of the good stuff. That's the yeah, good stuff. Yeah. But that's that's for when it gets to that process. And so what CleanHub does tries to uh, intervene before that and actually get more plastic to to this to this better case scenario. Yeah, because the 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 even worse part than winning back energy is if you landfill it. Right. And th again, there's different shades of gray there. Um, so you can have sanitized landfills that catches the leachate, which is, again, quite toxic because there's heavy metals in it, um, which captures methane because there's always organic components in, in waste and that decomposes over time. So you produce a lot of greenhouse gases from that as well. And then there's open dumping where you just put it on somebody's land and let it sit there so the leachate will trickle into the ground methane goes up in the air if it's hot this stuff can self-ignite which means this entire landfill will go up in flames um, so you have incineration without filters at all um, which is happening a lot in especially places like india indonesia um, is this open incineration and then you have like just dumping it into rivers, into the ocean, because at some point that will carry the trash away, right? So this is the hierarchy of <laughs> of horribleness. <laughs> hierarchy of plastic, which is, and it's, you know, and obviously the, we're having this conversation on the D2C podcast because yeah. D2C is a, is a contributor to this, whether it's through shipping or our products ourselves. So so tell me more about how CleanHub is then positioned in, in the yeah. D2C world. It all starts with, somebody consuming a product, right? And you need to ship a product. And depending on what you ship, you have different packaging options. And in many cases, you have to fall back on plastic because as soon as you have liquid, you can't ship that in paper because then the consumer won't be happy. You have regulatory um, frameworks. So it's, for example, not allowed to uh, have food get in contact with recycled plastic in many countries. And this is where waste is being produced in the first place. Uh, and again, I understand that sometimes it's difficult to completely move away from it. And sometimes plastic can be the best available packaging option. 
the thing that should not happen is that it ends up with someone and there's no proper way of disposal. And the, the topic that worries us is ocean plastic, right? Because once plastic is in the ocean, it will fall apart into microplastic. And at one point, it will also come back into our um, into our bodies in the form of microplastic. Yeah. And what people sometimes forget is, yes, we want to protect the environment, but what we're really doing, if we protect the environment, is we're protecting ourselves. It, yeah. We live off of the planet, and if we destroy it, if we produce microplastic, that all comes back to us, into our blood, into, by now, placentas. They, they found microplastics everywhere. It's a closed system. Um, Right, and we're all we're all we're all one system, thing ultimately. Yeah. I learned one time exactly. And what we do is we say, okay, where's plastic pollution coming from? Um, plastic pollution comes from the places where there's no waste management at all, and there's two billion people in the world that don't have access to waste management, and but by now they are already consumers, right? So they will dispose of the, the plastic that they consume. They will dump it in the environment. They will um, dump it in the ocean. They will dump it in rivers or burn it under the open sky. And our goal is to say, okay, let's stop plastic pollution by connecting these people to proper waste management systems, which usually is the role of government or of local legislators. But if you have poverty, waste management sits somewhere at the end of the... the um, thought process. And what we also observed is, and this is where we spin back to D2C, is consumers are worried about packaging and plastic, right? If you open a package and it's full of plastic, you will be annoyed as a consumer. And they they also scared that with the consumerism, they add to the problem. And we believe that D2C brands specifically that know their consumer very well can also be part of the solution. So what we came up with as a system is that with every purchase, like planting a tree, you can now also collect plastic. So we could say it's like, if you buy your hat online, um, we will collect a pound of plastic for that. So you're sponsoring the collection of one pound of plastic. And with that money, we build up waste management infrastructure in places like India, Cambodia, Indonesia, Tanzania. And you save plastics from the worst case scenario, which is, you know, open burning or, or burying yeah. or being into these. And we were, we were talking earlier, like it's the, all of these processes, you know, through whether it's petrol or plastics, they're, they're improving as well, which is like, that is a bit of the silver lining is that, you know, coal is a lot more efficient than, than it used to be. And it sounds like, you know, you discussing the, the high end plastic recycling is a process that captures a lot of the negativity as well. So, so Didis, one of the examples you gave me when we were chatting earlier was Sud Scrub, and uh, it was a brand that I wasn't familiar with, but I but I just checked them out, and it's it's really interesting to see the way they've sort of integrated it uh, into into their product. I was like, in, you were saying that that Sud Scrub is a silicon product, so they're already a natural organic product, which I think is interesting, but just to have as part of their value proposition that they're also doing this this really proactive uh, environmental, you know, task is pretty sweet. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that's the, the interesting part. I think if it needs to be natural in in the value proposition of the, of the company. And I think by now it is also a clear differentiator, right? It's like if I look at a, at a shelf with all the same products, um, then I'm going to choose the product that's doing the most good or is doing the least harm. And if they um, also decide for, for doing something good, then this can be a conversion driver. 
Um, this can be a retention driver with consumers because they have more loyalty to your brand. So besides all the doing good, there is obviously elements of enhancing your brand, increasing conversions, increasing customer lifetime value. Um, all these factors play into it. Yeah. I, I like how physical it is. I've, you know, I, I've seen other different badges and things you can put on your website. You can, there's carbon credits and things like that. But to, but I just like that this is a, this physical idea of removing plastics from an environment in, in a place that's, that's choked on them. I, I imagine that's part of the, the charm of it as well. Yeah. And that's, that's where we actually invest a lot of our time is making it more tangible, making it um, also very auditable. So um, if you go to cleanup.com slash live dashboard, um, you can see every single image that's being taken from the collection activities. Um, you can see every single truck that leaves the facility. You can see every single um, final certificate that proves the proper disposal of, of uh, trash. You can see all of that online and follow the paper trail, right? Because the thing that we did not want to do was exactly what happened in carbon, that you have an environmental promise that you can't back up with data. And with plastic, it's, it is a tangible product, right? So why not put it on a scale and prove to someone that it has been collected? And um, that's what we're after. And the, the part where it gets really nerdy, really techy is um, we're building an entire audit system on top of that, which is more and more um, AI driven that basically detects whenever there's something off in the weights. So we can by now take a picture of a bag of waste and somebody on the scale might say it's like this is five kilogram and based on the shape of the bag, based on um, the historic data that we have from this collector, we can say whether or not that is true. Um, and this is increasing in, in accuracy. So we put a lot of energy into protecting the claim that we make and that subsequently the brands make that they don't get into the position of somebody saying what you're saying is not true. This is greenwashing. Um, so I think there was a lot to be learned from the carbon fiasco. The, yeah. And like the widget on the site, it makes that very clear literally with the, you know, the number of pounds collected. Talk to me about the, you know, Sudscrub is a great example. What do all the best brands who use your product long-term have in common to make it work so well? Comes from a deep-seated belief system with them. Um, and the ones that we see that do it because they, they truly believe in it for themselves first will communicate about it authentically. And this, the consumer smells that. Where people fail is if I have a shitty product, I don't care about environmental sustainability at all. And then I put the badge on my website. People will say, it's like, come on, I opened this bag, I opened this, this package at the end of the day, it's filled with plastic, you put zero effort into actually reducing that or there's zero mindfulness in the way how you ship, how you produce and um, how you market, this is when they don't believe it. So the ones that are really behind it and stand for it, right where it's close to the DNA of the brand, they see success, they see very high open rates in, for example, email campaigns also around the topic, very high conversions from these email campaigns also. Um, and when, whenever you mean it, you will see success. Um, it's, it's very difficult to put that into numbers or into, into a scale. It's, 
when you build it into your, we talk about on the podcast every week these days about how important narrative and, you know, story is to your, to your business, to your products, to, you know, whenever you're writing email, whenever you're creating an ad, whenever you're trying to bring people into your business, uh, if you tell people information, it, it will, it will, it won't go anywhere. But if you, if you form it in a story and, and this with, you know, just looking at Sudscrub and probably some of the other brands that you, you work with, they've done a really good job of building it into their, into their core identity. Do you know, are they, are they outright building it into like email sequences as well, where they're meant, where they're talking about it as part of the, the customer journey? Um, yeah, it's, it's even on the packaging. So when you get the product itself, you will see a message about it on the packaging. Um, and we have different um, widgets that you can put along the customer journey. So we have, if you're on Shopify, for example, you can just drag and drop it into your checkout, including the, the counter. So if I make a purchase, I can see the counter go up. Um, there's a direct connection to that. Um, we have pre, like we have an entire so-called content hub where we have best case examples from, from other customers, from campaigns that they ran, including templates and, and how to use it. Um, so if you sign up with us, there's a team that actually helps you communicate it along your customer journey. And we see, again, the biggest successes where the message is repeated because repetition also creates truth, right? If I tell you something once, you might say, it's like, ah, oh, great. But if you hear it along the journey, you know, this is part of, of uh, your own purchase. And I believe that this is the important thing here. People will start, and this is the consumer power, people will start to use their money to vote for the future that they want to see. And if we don't solve these big global problems, consumers will walk away from, from brands where they feel they are not doing anything to actually keep that place inhabitable. And what, what do you think of, like, what is the state right now of the, uh, the green consumer? More and more people are getting conscious about what they consume. I was talking about the podcast we're going to launch in a few weeks uh, where I was advised by a brand to call this company direct to user, not consumer, because words matter. And when you use, we don't always consume products. A lot on the CPG side are consumed. But what's the status? Like what's the, in terms of the trend of the green consumer, where do you think we're at right now? We can see clear clusters that are already built around what we call the conscious consumer. Um, so a lot of people have woken up to the fact that something is not right and that we need to do something. I can't really put it in numbers um, in like say, okay, 5 million Americans. There's so many studies out there that say one in three consumers will do X, Y, Z, two in three consumers will do this and that. It's great as a trend, but in the end it counts what people really do. Um, the thing is, the consumer is more and more educated about topics. So they will go into details. And we have what we what we call the, the dark green consumers that really understand topics. And whenever a company chooses, I think, an environmental action that they want to do, they need to do their due diligence through the lens of the dark green consumer because they will dig deep. They will want to know every single detail. And they are the ones that will say, this is not right. And this is what um, claims need to be built for. So there needs to be transparency. There needs to be traceability. There needs to be ideally a life cycle assessment behind it that proves that something is better than the current um, status quo. Um, and that will then have a halo effect on top of your brand, right? That pulls in those that say, like, yeah, I care about it, but I don't build my entire life around doing that. That's that's what what I think where the, the sector is. So you can't brush them off just like that anymore with a stupid claim where there's no action behind it. Um, but people are starting to dig and wanting to understand what's going on. 
And then on the other side, on the business side, who, you know, we have lots of, we have a, a lot of um, the really high, a lot of the big companies listen to this podcast because they think D2C is, you know, is, is sexy. And we have a lot of the, the the smaller upstart brands as well. Are, would you prepared? It, would you be prepared if a Unilever came on board? Uh, or, or yeah, you, it's a, yeah, it's a, you yeah. said it's a solution that scales. Talk to that a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, the idea behind it is right. We want ideally every single coastal community to be in a position to manage their waste. And you don't need a whole lot in waste management to get started. Uh, you need a storage place and you need the concession to actually collect stuff and sort things out. And this is where we help local communities with, right? Where we say, okay, if demand goes up, we're going to open new hubs. Um, and this year, we're going to start one in Mexico. And uh, we're currently very closely looking at Playa del Carmen. We're starting one additional one in, in the Philippines, on Bantayan Island probably. And um, we're looking at starting another one in, in India. So we can continuously upgrade our um, supply because there is an oversupply of waste. Right? That's, that's the entire problem that we're facing. Um, so yes, we could absolutely onboard big um, D2C companies. And I think, as you said, there's a couple of brands or companies now that are looking at D2C and say this is sexy. I think the big issue in D2C is in the end, you spend so much money to acquire customers these days with ads going up, with also TikTok now reducing the organic reach that they give you for free, all that stuff. And it's even more important in these cases to build brands that you want to return to. And for whatever reasons, like obviously you need to have a good product. If you don't have a good product, you don't have a chance out there. But there's so much good product by now that you need to add on top of that. And this is where, where we can help, where we can help you tell stories that go beyond your own product, right? Where you can loop the consumer back in again, educate them about something that is dear to maybe just the founder's heart, and build brand loyalty. I think that's really crucial in, in D2C that people come back. And I think sustainability is a big driver for retention. And all the while, we're just we're cleaning this place up. Exactly. So it's a win-win in the end. It's a win-win. That's amazing. So uh, people want to get in touch with you. They want to know more about CleanHub. What should they do? Uh, reach out directly. You can just email me. It's joel at cleanup.com. That's J-O-E-L at cleanup.com. Um, I'll make sure that the right people will talk to you or um, just contact us via our website. Follow us on socials, Instagram, LinkedIn. We have a TikTok. It's a bit cringe. We need to work on that. Um, Don't we all? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how many pounds have you actually, I shouldn't, I, like, what's your total? Like how many, how many pounds have you uh, taken out of the environment? Well, uh, so far, it's 7 million kilogram, which is 7,000 metric tons in uh, pounds. That's times 2.14 million pounds and a little bit. Um, I am Canadian, so I should uh, I should know the kilos. But uh, <laughs> but that's uh, like, yeah, I, I, like how many football fields is that? That's for Americans. You got to put it in football fields. But uh, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah it's a lot actually, because if you if you lay it out flat, that's a lot of uh, football fields. Um, Which is what garbage the, is. It's when like when it's in your environment, that's kind of how it is, right? Yeah. So that might be a good visual yeah, exactly. uh, visual yeah. element for you for so, to get in place for so Super Bowl. One truck, yeah, you can get around eight tons of plastic on six wheeler on a proper yeah. truck. Okay, um, so it's a lot of trucks. Well done, sir. Uh, I think people Thank in you. our audience who, again, I think you called it out. It's people that it's brands that have 
you know, sustainability built into their their narrative already, or it's, it's brands that are really that are it's, it's founders that are thinking thinking like this. It's it's probably half the people that I've had on this podcast at least who uh, you know do think about things in these terms. And 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 I yeah, as far yeah, in terms of I, I, I'm excited to see where it goes because I, I I love how physical it is. I love I've there I've seen a lot of different people out there where the value is really abstracted, and I think people you know customers are really really smart, and if it's if it's too abstracted and it's not, not, it isn't tangible enough, um, yeah. it won't work as well. So I could see this being, being a big hit. Yeah. And I mean, for those that, that want to get started and are not quite there yet in regards of how they are set up, uh, one thing that we also offer is packaging assessment. So, um, all you need to do is basically tell us who's your supplier of the packaging, um, and a picture of the product. And we're going to analyze it and see how it performs in regards of, circularity right the the ability to be recycled and we can also give you recommendations for better material because this is also a very important aspect right it's like let's say it's compared to being a bit overweight you have two options and ideally you combine them a you want to eat better and less calories so less intake reduce the second one is going to the gym, so increase the ability um, or increase your calorie burning capacity. Yeah, basically burn. yeah exactly. Um, and if you're lazy, so you just take Ozempic. One. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. What... Unfortunately, unfortunately, there's no Ozempic yet for um, for plastic, but. Uh, Maybe that'll happen. <laughs> you were saying before, though, that there actually is. And I don't want to like say that this is the solution, but you were saying there's actually. Uh, I, th I forget who it was. Someone said that, that the, the whole point of the Earth is just to figure out how to digest plastic, and eventually it will. <laughs> You're saying there actually are some initial things that people are seeing that that some plastics are yeah. not being biodegraded. There's, there's yeah, there's enzymes um, that will help basically degrade plastic or completely just like bring it back into its original form. Um, the, and there's also some worms, I think I, I read about it, that started eating plastic. Um, but so far, they only do that for plastics that is already highly recyclable. So yeah. <laughs> I, I wish you would do that for the non-recyclable stuff. What What is interesting is that there's a lot of research being put into um, producing packaging from bio-based feedstocks or non-fossil-based feedstock and um, have biodegradable plastics as well that will fall apart again. So you can do that from algae, um, cornstarch, etc. The one truth, and this is why we believe in any scenario that will exist in the future, cleanup will be important, is you need waste management that can collect all that stuff, separate it into the different waste streams and bring it into the right recycling or composting or disposal technology. Because Right, banana peel is highly biodegradable, yep. but you still don't want your neighbor to just throw it on the street and <laughs> to pile up the, the yeah. organic trash on the on the sidewalk. No, you need waste management, and that's just basic infrastructure which doesn't exist in many many parts of the world. Well, let's fix that. Thanks again, Joel. This is great. It was a pleasure to be here. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. If you're not a subscriber to our newsletter, you can do that right now at directtoconsumeralloneword.co. I'm Eric Dick, and this has been the D2C Podcast. We'll see you next time.